0: Psalm 104, praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the conies. The moon marks off the seasons. And the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night. And all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lion roars for their prey, the lions roar for their prey, and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to his work, to his labor, until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up, When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to Him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Well, this is God's Word. The, um, the total running time, and just, uh, just say that I looked this up, I didn't count it live, I looked it up. The total running time of the extended director's cuts of the three Lord of the Rings films uh, comes to 11 hours and 22 minutes. I did look it up, I didn't sit and time it. Uh, so given time for meals and bathroom breaks, that's a whole day in front of Lord of the Rings. Uh, Not that I've ever watched them back to back, and really I don't think that seems like a good idea, but if you've ever read The Lord of the Rings, I think you'll agree that there is certainly 11 hours and 22 minutes worth of material in there to work with. Why they couldn't find space for Tom Bombadil, we'll never know, but uh, we digress. Uh, Lord of the Rings is, is an epic, it's an epic story. A whole world is created, and the framework of all the species and the races and the creatures that live in that world and their history and their languages and their struggle. Uh, It's an epic story, and it takes epic storytelling. And I think there's a bit of that in in this long Psalm, Psalm 104. The topic of the Psalm is just the small matter of, of God and His creation and His provision and His eternal glory. It's epic. It's not a psalm that invents worlds and cultures and history, but that describes the way in which God did create the world and everything in it, uh, who sustains it, who provides for it, and who will renew it. And surely that is an excellent focus for our worship today on the theme of harvest and thanksgiving. Uh, And so as the psalmist uh, grapples with this great story of creation. Uh, let's look over his shoulder, let's read his creation rhapsody, his, his great song of creation. It starts with God, our great creator. God is the great creator. So here is a psalm written with Genesis 1 open on the psalmist's desk. We can see that as we read it. He retells the creation story actually in much the same order as Genesis 1, with light in verse 2 and earth in verse 5 the waters in 6 to 10, vegetation and trees in 14 to 17, sun, moon, and stars in 19 to 23, creatures of the sea and the air in 25 and 6, animals and human beings in 21 to 4, and the provision of food and drink to enjoy in 27 and 28. It's the creation story laid out in a song. And God is not the same as creation. It's not that Everything is God, and God is everything. No, they are, they are distinct. They are separate. But they're not so separate as to be distant. God's not distant from creation. He's different, but not distant. So, verse 2, <coughs> He wraps Himself up in the light that He has created. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of His upper chambers on their waters. Sometimes people go camping, don't they, so that they can be uh, closer to nature. That's what we say. I want to be closer to nature. I want to hear the birds singing while I have my breakfast. You don't realize they actually start at 3 a.m., uh, the birds. Uh, I want to be closer to nature. You don't realize that if you don't zip up the, the tent, you're going to have little buzzy bits of nature inside biting you through that. Anyway, um, camping's lovely, and God camps over his world. He's close to it. He's close to us. <laughs> um, it is positive. And verses 3 and 4, the visible and invisible forces of the world, which to us often seem so chaotic and unpredictable, are sent by Him for His purposes to do His will under His control. And verse 5 it says, God laid the foundations of the ground. And verses 6 to 9, He, he marked out the limits of the water. I was thinking about that um, over the summer, building a sandcastle down at the beach. Um, the waves come in and out, but if you build above the high tide line, they can, they can come as close as they like, but they can come no further. Your sandcastle is safe. Of course, the real fun thing is to build a little below the tide line, and then you get the moat filled in, and it really looks you know, just tip-top, and then five minutes later, it's gone. It's just wiped out and the waves come over the top. But even in the worst winter storms, the water only comes so far up the beach. Maybe it comes up enough to cover the footpath or the road that runs along the coast, but no further. There is a limit. Verses 10 to 18, uh, all of this groundwork is laid, this this earth and the, the boundaries of the water, all of this groundwork is laid so that the world can be inhabited. The cycle of water, the grasslands, the forests, it's all for life to exist. Uh, not just to survive, but to thrive. Verse 11, the beasts are watered and quench their thirst. It's a joyful thing, isn't it? Verse 12, the birds nest and sing with joy. Verse 13, there's satisfaction. Verse 14, there's agriculture and cultivation and food. Ah, bread. Mm. Um, Verse 16, there's plenty. Verse 17 to 18, there are places and homes and habitats and safe spaces for all species not only places and spaces, but times, verses 19 to 23. I read recently that the sun sun tells us the hour, the moon tells us the day, and the stars tell us the month, so that we live inside the most beautiful clock ever designed. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, Verse 19, the moon marks off the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. And when it does, the, the predators come out, don't they? They come out, they come out and prowl. But when the sun rises, they go back home and it's our time, daytime. I was thinking about that recently. Uh, I had to make a, a car journey in the middle of the night, two or three in the morning. Uh, and I passed various sets of little reflective eyes peering at me from, uh, from the hedgerows and the verges. Uh, as I went by, and it got, it got me thinking, I'm glad we don't have lions or wolves or bears around here, to my knowledge. It was creepy enough to think whether it was cats or foxes or badgers. Um, I definitely felt like I was out and about in a time of day which didn't belong to me. It belonged to others. I had a sense of being a little bit out of place. I, had, I, did, have, I did have business to be about, but in another sense, I had no business being out and about at that time. But verses 22 and 23, we coexist by the creative genius of our maker. God is the great creator. But as the psalmist composes his creation rhapsody, the the creation theme is not the only melody line that he's writing. There's a harmony line as well. And so here's another line in in this great song. God is the generous giver. God is the generous giver. It's really... uh, Striking, I think, we have to notice that this creation rhapsody is not an ode to creation. It's not a travel brochure for planet Earth or some poetic montage at the start of the latest David Attenborough series. It's not about creation. It's about the Creator, Uh, not just because He made something great, but because He continues to be involved and continues to give. He's the giver who keeps on giving. Verse thirteen, he waters the mountains. Verse fourteen, he makes grass grow. Verse fifteen, he gives food and satisfaction and enjoyment. Verse twenty-four <coughs> is, is like, look how many creatures there are. The earth is just teeming. Verse twenty-seven, he feeds and he satisfies. In fact, let's read, let's read verses twenty-seven to thirty. Verses twenty-seven to thirty. Um, Speaking of the creatures, these all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. And when you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. All all life from the tiniest Uh, microscopic sea life to the most enormous sea monster. I don't know what the the Leviathan is in this psalm, but it reminds me of the way, you know, humpback whales just kind of frolic out of the water and smash down into the surface of it. Um, uh, So from the tiniest to the most humongous creatures, along with everything that lives in the sky and on land, even humanity itself, whether we acknowledge it or not, it all depends. We all depend on God. To provide, we exist only by what He gives. We live only until He determines, not a moment more. Uh, and we, along with all life, only continue because He renews us. You know, it's amazing how we take each breath for granted. Um, I, walked past a, I walked past a cottage a few days ago and they were getting a fire started, I think, in the grate. It was what, you know, the smoke that was coming up the chimney was very white and it was, um, you know, it kind of came up the chimney and then just drifted down across the road and across the path in front of me. So I had to walk through this smoke and I was happy enough to come out the other side of that and reach fresh air again. It was pretty, it, you know, it was choking kind of stuff. We are utterly reliant on God for every breath. You get the, the back of an envelope, you can do a rough calculation, count the number of breaths that you take in a minute. Uh, you, you multiply it up, you get to, uh, the average human being will take 700 million breaths in a lifetime. 700 million breaths. I mean, like, give or take. <laughs> Who needs to be that precise? 700 million. How many of those 700 million can you go without? I mean, not many. Or not many in a row. Or if you hold your breath and swim underwater for a while, what happens when you come up? You have to catch up. You have to get through those breaths that you just, you just missed. Uh, What a generous God to keep giving, to keep providing every moment of every day, whether we're awake, whether we're asleep, every day, every night, every year, every millennium. God is the great creator, yes, but he's the generous giver. And then right down towards the end of the psalm, as the music kind of swells to its highest, we hear what I think sounds like a wrong note. Sounds like a bum note. We hear a note that sounds out of tune, out of place. Verse 34: May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. Ah, but may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Here's a note just out of the blue, almost in a minor key. Did we need that? Did we need verse 35? I mean, it was going so well, it was so nice. Uh, well, this strange note, I think, gives us our last reason for praise. God is the great creator; He's the generous giver, and of course, God is the glorious saviour. God is the glorious saviour. The psalmist writing his his rhapsody with Genesis one open on the desk in front of him, he's not unaware of what happens when he turns the page to Genesis three. He knows where the story goes. You know, Genesis one. God is the great creator. And the generous giver, Genesis 2, God made mankind to rule and enjoy His creation, set us up uh, unbelievably well. But in Genesis 3, there's a new idea enters the world, the idea that God is not generous, that He's a miserly spoil sport who's holding out on us, a God who doesn't want to share. And so the serpent lied to the woman, asking if God had told them not to eat anything in the world, anything in the garden. But God said they could eat everything in the garden, except one, one fruit from one tree. A world of provision with just one prohibition. A world of take, yes, eat and enjoy. And one, no, leave that one be. But we fall for the lie that God is not generous. The woman looked at the forbidden fruit, and Genesis says she wanted it. She wanted what it could give her, and so did the man, Adam, who's standing silently alongside. They wanted it, and they took it. This is not the language of the generous God. They wanted. They coveted. They took. Uh, they desired. They seized. We know where the story goes. Genesis 4, there's the jealousy of Cain. Genesis 11, there's the selfish ambition of Babel. Humanity turns fully away from God, the generous giver, and so we no longer reflect and image his generosity. We're made in his image. Uh, so his generosity is something that we should not only just trust for ourselves, but also reflect out to one another. But now humanity can't see his generosity, can't see the plenty. only sees scarcity and doubt and anxiety. And a scarcity mindset is a selfish mindset. All this talk of of God the generous giver, it's not really how we live day by day, is it? We we live like there isn't enough. And we compete and we hoard and we treat people like they want to take what's ours. We're in a rat race in our minds. Uh, We talk about wanting to get ahead or uh, get it before it's gone. What's that ad? Uh, well, we'll not give anyone, anyone free advertising, but you know, when they're gone, they're really gone or whatever it is. I uh, should have looked that up before I started that. Anyway, listen to the radio. It'll come up. Um, as we think of, of harvest time um, or, or earning income in general, Uh, we can see that it's possible to take similar actions with very different attitudes. We can go about our business with different attitudes. We can sell and earn out of diligence and good stewardship, or we can sell and earn out of greed and the desire for more. We can store and save grateful for God's provision, or we can store and save fearful and distrusting of what He might not give us tomorrow. We need to be rescued from this delusion that sees God as a miser. We need to be rescued from it, and we need to be forgiven for it. We need the generous giver to be the generous forgiver. Now, of course, all this goes a bit beyond what the psalmist tried to capture in Psalm 104. He's, he's already got an epic story to write about just in creation, never mind the history of the world but in the history of the world, God focuses then his generosity on the people of Israel, uh, promising and delivering to them a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't think we've got any uh, milk and honey with us um, in the room here today. Probably just as well. What a mess that would be if we knocked it over. But milk and honey, what does that mean? Milk means rich pasture, doesn't it? You're not going to get milk without rich pasture land. Honey means bees, and bees... Well, they at least mean, you know, wildflowers, trees for, for building beehives and, and all of that. I don't know. What do I know about bees? What do we know about bees, though, generally? We, we know, was, as we hear about conservation efforts today, that bees are a real indicator of the health of, of our countryside, the health of our environment. So a land flowing with honey is a healthy, fertile, uh, flourishing land, a land of plenty a land where the the ground is full of nutrient, the rain comes at the right time in the right amounts, and the sunshine is warm enough but not too hot, and the frost doesn't come too early, and it doesn't hang on too late. Conditions and climate are perfect for growth, for prosperity, for plenty, for dependability, season after season, year after year. That's a land flowing with milk and honey, and that's what God gave His people. In Deuteronomy, Uh, They're standing on the very cusp of of inheriting that land, receiving it, Uh, and they're told, you must remember, remember, remember that this land is the gift of a generous God. You're going to walk in this land and live in this land every day. This is to help train you out of this delusion that God is a miser. You will live in His generosity and remember it every day and pass that generosity on. Reflect and re-image that generosity. So, hence, you know, if you get into the weeds of the Old Testament laws, you're going to find things about forgiving debts and treating people fairly. Even laws like, you know, uh, not being too thorough with the harvest. When you pass over and you gather it up, if you drop it or you miss it, leave it. Leave it for someone else to come, someone who needs it. Just do one pass. Whatever you don't get in the first attempt— just leave it. Don't be stingy. Don't count the pennies. God provides all that you need. Trust and reflect His generosity. Of course, that's not what they did. Israel continued in the scarcity mindset, uh, and that same mindset is, is all around us, and it's inside us today, isn't it? But uh, verse 30, <clears throat> God will renew the world. And verse 31, His glory will endure Forever. Verse 5 says the the earth can never be moved, but verse 32 suggests God's going to shake it down. Verse 35, sin and sinners will not be part of that new creation. That, That sinful, selfish, scarcity mindset will not be present in the new creation. We'll trust God's generosity. We'll reflect it. We'll resemble it. Thankfully for us, despite the fact that we ourselves are riddled with that uh, scarcity mindset, we can still be part of that new creation. With all our greed, our mistrust, our hoarding, our selfishness, we can still be part of this generous God's new creation because, of course, of His greatest gift of all. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus comes along and he lives a life that really does reflect the generosity of God. He welcomes the outsider. He eats with the outcast. He meets people's needs even when he's exhausted. He even dies. He gives his life for his enemies. He spends himself in the love of others. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, a verse worth, uh, worth remembering, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Jesus came from the glory of heaven to take on the the form and nature of a servant, to to die on the cross for us so that we might inherit everything. Jesus forgives us and frees us from a scarcity mindset, from greed and hoarding and mistrust. He helps us to see God as as He really is, uh, the generous giver, the fount of every blessing. He helps us to reflect that generosity in our own lives, uh, passing it on to others as we wait for the ultimate fulfillment, a generous new creation, a renewed world unspoiled by the presence and mindset of sin. Do you need to look again at Jesus as He reflects and embodies the generosity of God, His generosity directly to you uh, calling you to forgiveness and freedom? Do you need to, um, you need to repent of a scarcity mindset uh, of believing the same lies that were sold to Adam and Eve, that God is not to be trusted? Do you need to repent of, of selfishness and hoarding and greed or envy? Do you need to confess these things to the Lord and and turn from them? Uh, Do you need to ask for His help to remember all that He has done for you and to live in the light of it all? You've, You've heard this creation rhapsody. Will it change your tune? Let's pray. Paul writes, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Father, we echo the cry of the psalmist, a cry to his own soul. We cry to our own souls, praise the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. Father, turn our minds to all that you have done and all that you've given for us. Clear away the fog of lies that say that you're not to be trusted. Help us to repent of all that grows in that fog, that, that, the fog of that lie, uh, to repent of selfishness and, and anxiety and envy and doubt and greed. Would you sow and grow in us instead a generous love? that reflects something of your own. Help us to practice generous love in our families, our churches, and our communities, that we might point to your great love in Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.